Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Kesha International's Kelly Wright and Passion Distribution's Tom Burton about the rise of local SVOD services and the alternatives they present for programme sellers and producers amidst proliferating global players. The growth of global streamers may have made headlines last year, but amidst COVID-triggered population lockdowns, local platforms have also been on the rise, offering programme sellers and producers alike new opportunities and alternative deal structures to those favoured by players with bigger footprints. Ruth Laws spoke to a number of leading distributors for the MIPTV digital edition of Channel 21 International magazine, which you can find on our website right now, to get a sense of how they see these market trends developing and the direction of travel as SVOD and AVOD continue to outpace linear viewing. First up, Kelly Wright, Senior Vice President of Distribution and New Business at Israel's Kesha International. What, what do you think the rise of um, local SVOD platforms means for distribution? For us, it's it's really been a blessing. I think especially in this last year, it's just opened the doors to so many more opportunities that if we thought the markets were all kind of buttoned up with the two or three local linear platforms and the kind of like the, the regular cable channels, the net geos and everything that everybody has, and those are kind of your your limited options to go into a territory and sell a show. Now we're just seeing such an explosion of new investment in that arena, whether it comes from those traditional channels themselves that are just setting up OTT plays, whether they're local plays or global plays or pan-regional plays, and then the independents that are coming up as well. And we've seen a lot of them rise and fall, like iFlix, you know, it was a big one that fell and things like that in Asia. But like overall, people are in it for the long haul. It seems like everybody believes that this is the future um, and no one's willing to be left out. So I think it just means more opportunities for us. Um, as distributors and as content producers as well. And it's exciting because there seems to be now almost a home for every type of content in every market. Whereas before it might've been really like, okay, in Asia, it has to be educational. It has to be really blue chip nature, or it has to be really local. Now we can sell them foreign language drama. You know, that's not just Korean drama, but that's coming from Turkey or from Israel or from anywhere else. So I think it's also just kind of broadened not only the number of outlets that you can sell to, but the type of content you can sell into each territory as well. How do deals with local SVODs or doing deals with local SVODs compare with doing one global SVOD sale in strategic and revenue terms? I think strategically, you know, it depends kind of on your catalog and what kind of products you have, new products you have that you can leverage. So you can always do a big bundle around a big title and do like a one major deal. And I think it's it's a lot easier because usually you have done that one major deal already, already, whether it's like with Netflix or Amazon Prime or whomever. So you can just kind of follow suit and tack on new titles to those deals. And it makes the deal making pretty simple. But I think that if you do decide to piecemeal, you can ultimately end up making more money. It really depends on the on the piece of content, but you can ultimately from one region alone, you can end up making what you might have made from a global sale. And then you've still got the rest of the world to sell. And I think also now that so many territories are co-producing together, and let's say it takes off German speaking Europe from the market, you know, a Netflix isn't necessarily going to want a show that's half in German set in Berlin when they can't have German speaking Europe rights. So I think that the rise of these local SVOD or these pan-regional SVOD uh, opportunities also allows 
for more of that co-production to continue to happen rather than saying, okay, well, we, the financing, you know, we can't make, we can maybe finance a show from two or three sales in these two or three territories, but we can't necessarily make a profit on it. So I think now we see that we can make a profit on those shows as well. It depends on so many factors because Netflix is pretty okay with their holdbacks. You know, you'll be able to have a second window on shows that you have on Netflix It's a question of whether or not the local players, the local linear players will want to pick up those shows as well. And we see that in some territories they do. So if we sold a show like The Paper to Netflix, which is in Croatian, and we have Balkan channels in Bosnia and Serbia and everywhere else that speak that same language for them, those actors are really famous. The language is the same. They're willing to put those shows that were already available on Netflix onto the linear platform as well, the linear channel. And then you can still make money off the tail after that bigger global sale. But what we're seeing, especially with Israeli shows like Tehran and things that sold last year was huge sales numbers that I don't think selling an Israeli series piece by piece, territory by territory would have ever generated those kind of revenues. So it kind of depends on the competition at the time, who's bidding. So if it's those global players bidding against one another, you're going to drive those numbers up. But if it's one global versus like a couple of local, you're not going to get to those kind of numbers. So it really depends a lot on the timing, the content itself, and then who's interested. And what do deals between distributors and local SVODs mean for content on the global players? Do you think that there'll be more of a shift um, on these platforms towards original programming, for example? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're already seeing that, right? So even platforms like Amazon, which used to acquire a lot more foreign language are just simply not interested in foreign language acquisitions. I think Amazon announced they're doing 15 commissions from Mexico, for example. So I think that they are really looking more, and that commission could be a complete original that's fully financed by Amazon, or it could be Amazon coming in as the SVOD partner to something that already exists, which fine. You know, everybody's happy in that case. But I do think that the push will always be towards original. But then you have, after those big global players, which have already established their library and now are focused on originals, you have these smaller players like Mola TV in Indonesia or Now TV in Hong Kong that are rising that still need to build their library. So it kind of comes in stages. And I think once that platform has passed stage one and they've built that library, they'll move on to the original programs. But there's more platforms coming up behind them that still need stage one to to complete stage one. So I think it, it means that, you know, they like to have local program. Yes, obviously, I think that's where they distinguish themselves. Um, and separate themselves from the pack because, you know, we can see how Amazon's tending also towards more sports content, for example. Even their scripted productions, like they're doing a big production um, on a soccer player from, from Latin America. And that's going to be, for them, a global a global show, even though it's set mostly in Latin America. It's set also across Europe because he plays on European teams. But I think what we're seeing is them kind of fall into these categories um, that suit them and suit their viewers. And then I think that, yeah, it remains to be seen what will happen with the MOLA TVs of Indonesia and the NOW TVs of Hong Kong, if they will start to put more of their money into those original programming buckets, or they'll just clean up after Netflix and Amazon and take on all of the amazing local, what we call local productions that are happening in Croatia or Israel or Germany or wherever, and just adopt them and say, you know, our focus is on the world. We're not doing as much original, but we have the best of everything the world has to offer. You mentioned sort of Moolah and, um, and what do you think the rising platforms are? Are there any particular local SVOD platforms that you'd be looking to do deals with because you, you're impressed by what they're doing? Yeah, I mean, there are those like SK in Korea is, one of, is another one of them. And then you've got the ones that are OTTs kind of attached 
attached to the channels like SBS On Demand, which is an amazing platform that offers a huge bevy of global content to Australian viewers. Um, TVNZ On Demand as well does the same thing. And then you also have like the, the Discovery Pluses and the HBO Maxes and these things that do have a local strategy. So for example, we're selling right now to HBO Max in Latin America, two foreign language shows and one English language show that they're not necessarily even looking at at other HBO homes like HBO Asia or HBO Max in the U.S., so they have their own independent strategy, but do we consider them to be majors or do we consider them to be regional players? You know, I think kind of time will tell. And where do you think local SWOs are in terms of acquisitions, co-productions and original commissions? It depends on how long they've been established and then who's backing them, I think, how much money they have to invest. But so far, what we're seeing is that if they're attached to a channel, then obviously they have that stream of local content coming in, whether it's you want to call it originals or co-productions that are coming from the channel itself, and then naturally finding a home on VOD as well. And then you have just the straight up SVODs that are not attached, they're not OTTs, they're not attached to any linear player. And I think those are right now rising and kind of filling in the gaps that people feel that Netflix and Amazon Prime and Apple and whatever else are leaving, and Disney Plus, you know, are leaving behind and they're kind of filling in those gaps and they need to decide their own strategy. They can fill in that gap with acquisitions, with co-productions or with originals. And it really depends on who's backing them, I think, how well established they are. There's also the issue of the barriers to entry in terms of cost. So in India, you see a ton of SVOD players and a ton of very, very regional ones because they have so many languages and so many different states in India. You have like a VOD, at least one VOD platform for each one of those states and languages. And they're looking at doing original commissions as well. But, you know, they charge less than a dollar a month for subscriptions because that's just the going rate in India. But they have more, more people who can pay that, you know? So it's just really interesting when you look at how the economics work, who's backing them, how much the subscriptions are. And then somewhere in the middle is like your formula for acquisitions versus originals. And how do local SVODs window content with local broadcasters? So I think locally it depends a lot on if they're an OTT and attached to a linear channel. So if they are, I think it's pretty much a given now that most linear channels that have OTTs are asking for premiere rights or like kind of to open the window on OTT before the linear window starts. And it's usually two weeks before because they want to be able to preview um, their new offerings online. So they can tease for like a month or two in advance of the linear TX, but they'll also want to put things online, like the first episode, for example. And that's, I think, also a positioning thing. You know, they they want to show and demonstrate that they have new content that's coming through all the time. And that's available online just as conveniently as it is to go to your Netflix app. You can go to their app as well and watch new content. So I think it's part of the psychological element of establishing their, like getting your finger used to clicking on their app, I should say. And then we're seeing though as well that, for example, we produce through Trezor, which is our Keshet production company in Germany, a show called You Don't Die Among Friends, which is based on Stockholm, which is an Israeli format. And it's for TV Now in Germany, TV Now and Vox. So it aired first on SVOD. So first aired on TV Now. And the SVOD premiere was three months before the linear TX. So it really depends how these channels want to play it and whether they're 
are kind of aiming to build up their SVOD presence and their download rate and everything, or if that's pretty established. And they can basically simultaneously launch both on their OTT and on their linear channel, but sometimes with a two-week preview for the first episode on OTT. That seems to be the more typical release structure. And what's the impact of major studios withdrawing their programming from the market in order to feed their own streamers? What challenges um, or opportunities does this create? I think, you know, challenges in one sense, because wherever their studio is not rolling out in the near future, like in Australia, for example, but that's a key market for them, they kind of rush to make a, a pact with the local player, like Stan in Australia, for example, or even a linear player. So I think that's created kind of a challenge because then that local player like Stan in Australia is tied into a hundred million dollar deal with a studio in America for the next two years for their films and their television shows just because Peacock won't be rolling out in Australia or HBO Max or whatever it is won't be rolling out in Australia until a later date. And so that ties up a lot of their budget. So as an independent distributor, we have opportunities, but let's say there's also a lot of like, well, sorry, but we're committed to this huge amount of money and spend and we've got to take X amount of hours from the studio. So there's maybe less opportunities to sell um, to them, even though Stan is an amazing partner. And we just sold them The Baker and the Beauty, which is uh, airs on ABC in the US. And we haven't really felt that yet, but it, it does put a strain on budgets. So I think on one sense, that's the challenge. Is that kind of how do you fit that strain on that budget, which is a studio deal when that studio hasn't rolled out yet, though, in that territory. And then when that studio has withdrawn their program completely and has not done one of those kind of first look or overall deals, you really have a massive hole in the territory. And you see people clinging to their shows. We've got the blacklist, you know, we've got SWAT, we've got CSI, like they feel like, you know, we're okay for the next 10 years or, or however many incarnations of that show there's going to be because they do have that, they have managed to lock that show where the rest of those shows were taken away from them. But I think, you know, it's interesting to look at Germany as a case study here because they, for a short period of time, after all those first look deals failed with the studios and expired, they were doing co-productions with the U.S. studios and together making those kind of crime procedurals. And now you see them not doing that. They're like, okay, that didn't work for us. We invested a lot of money in these American shows that didn't really perform well in the local market in the U.S. We were kind of stuck with a product that we weren't that happy with and that is not continuing to a second season. So it's not creating for us those legacy products that we built our channels on. We need to do that ourselves or we need to do that with other European partners. So I think it's also opened up a lot of exciting opportunities on the co-production side and help people to realize that local productions and co-productions can be just as lucrative and intriguing to viewers. And, and do you think the market will lean towards esports or global players like Amazon and Netflix in the year ahead? I think it depends a lot on, on what happens with the rise of these local SVODs and if they can keep their price points really low, like the $1 rate in India, and they can still provide both acquisitions and original programming that's maybe more, I'm not going to say relevant, but that's that they can't do without in their local territory. Then, and you see that a lot with sports as well. You know, I think they're getting a lot into sports now too. Like we see Mola TV in Indonesia, they're picking up sports rights as well. And I think that it's just, there's maybe not going to be a lean. There's maybe going to be a cap you know, on how many subscriptions you can have. I don't think there's going to be a lean towards one or the other because people won't feel like they have to choose. They have, As long as they have the income, they can have as many as they want. I think it's just going to be a lean towards which ones become more significant. And it is a question of whether or not it's the global conversation that drives the viewership or the local conversation that drives the viewership as well. So it's going to be a mix though, as people are living in this 
world right now, they're not turning off one and paying attention only to the other. There are some platforms that we didn't talk about yet, like Acorn and Topic in the U.S., that have been really open-minded in the type of content that they pick up. They want to be unique. They want to establish themselves not as an alternative to Netflix or Amazon, but as another one of your top five content providers. You know, and in order to do that, they're really looking outside of the box. They're very open-minded when it comes to content, when it comes to new talent. And we are, as distributors, we're really grateful to them as well, because whether or not their strategy pans out in the long run, I think it's just, it's such a boon for the viewer and the subscriber to have such an amazing access. Even BritBox, you know, I know people in where I'm from in Florida are like subscribing to BritBox and they're just over the moon to have access to that content. And I think, it, you know, ultimately it's a win because I'm hoping, and I don't know what the numbers prove, but piracy is obviously like a massive massive thing everywhere in the world. And there's just no need to do it anymore. All of these things available to you for a free month, a monthly trial or whatever it is, you can cancel whenever you want. They make it, they, the SOTs really make it convenient. And I, I think it's just, it's only going to be good for all of us as content producers and distributors that there are outlets like that, both the global, both the, and, and the niche and the local. Everyone can coexist and have a place in this market if they're, if they're doing it right. Kelly Wright from Kesha International, speaking with Ruth Laws. Tinopolis-owned UK-based passion distribution shops shows including RuPaul's Drag Race Globally and kicked off this year by acquiring an entertainment slate from US cable, a game show network, including America Says and Best Ever Trivia Show. Tom Burton is sales manager for Global Digital, Australia, New Zealand, English-speaking Canada and the Middle East. He spoke to Ruth Laws about the evolution of local SVODs and what this means for distributors in the year ahead. What does the rise of local SVOD platforms mean for the world of distribution? I think the, the first thing to say, I guess, is that it's good news for distributors wherever there's you know, new and added demand. The great thing about the local SVODs as well is that they tend to kind of fill in uh, new niches, or I mean, they have to in, a, in order to stand out. Um, so that can mean that you know, bits of content that we haven't licensed find a, a new home. It can mean that there's new opportunities in terms of things we're looking to develop. You know, So it, it's always good when there's someone else kind of joining uh, and giving us a different direction. Um, the other thing to say is the obvious thing, which is that that's direct competition to the, the international SVODs. You know, they're fighting for the same rights. So on the one hand, you can get kind of bidding against for available content, whereas before you, you may not have had that. And I think the big thing would be that it offers the potential for localization formats. So whereas a global SVOD will typically take, uh, you know, one brand, uh, one, one version of that brand, you know, take the, the US series of Drag Race and, and air that around the world, um, they may not be looking for, you know, an individual version for every country. Uh, so to have a local SVOD in a territory can mean that you have, you know, the opportunity to make programs like Drag Race Canada and uh, Drag Race Down Under and, you know, Drag Race Holland and, and all these other, you know, wonderful versions of the show that, that wouldn't have been possible with a, an international SVOD. And the other thing that you said that I thought was really interesting is that the rise of local SVODs is perhaps giving a home to more niche content. Are you noticing that um, lo local SVODs want different content to global SVODs. You know, the obvious thing to state is that whereas a kind of an international SVOD would be looking for, I wouldn't go as far as to say one size fits all, but it has to be international flavour to the content. It has to be something that's going to work across the hundreds of different territories that they're doing. Um, and that can be, you know, something premium, um, you know, the, 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 
very high-end programs that are able to kind of draw eyes in by the you know the wondrous nature of them. Whereas local SVODs, I mean, they do have budgets. You know, some of these are able to put forward uh, you know incredible budgets when it comes to scripted and, and unscripted productions. Um, but typically, their aim will be you know they they know their audience. They they're looking for people inside their territory, and so it needs to have that kind of local flavour. And that, you know, can, can create certain kind of demand for the programs. It, like I say, it offers potential for localization formats, you know, fantastic use from scripted sellers like us. When it comes to the differentiation, I mean, that varies so much. I mean, are we noticing uh, a kind of higher, more defined view? Well, yeah, a lot of these SVODs, I mean, typically it's the international ones, are, are really searching for niches now. Do you know, they're not just a factual SVOD. They're an SVOD that specializes in, you know, science and, and engineering or something. They have to do something to to move themselves away from, uh, you know, these massive SVOD services that people are doing and, and justify, you know, the, the money that they're charging for more to keep those people. So, yeah, I, I think definitely that, that is a trend that we will see. Um, and how do deals with several local SVODs compare with doing one global SVOD sale in strategic and revenue terms? It's, uh, it's, it's complicated. It's not something that we can, you know, step back and compare like for like. And I think there's one thing to remember, which is that for any of us who've been, you know, working in the industry before the SVOX. This is a problem that we've had since the beginning of time, you know, the, the kind of working with local clients rather than working on pan deals, you know, to do internationals. And that's been the case when we were working with pay TV, when we were working with, you know, free to wears or deciding the kind of strategy from the start. It is different for each title. You know, what works for Paradise Hotel uh, may not work for Drag Race and, and vice versa or, or, you know, the other programs Mums Make Horn or Sex Clinic, which have also found uh, homes square. And um, so you you kind of have to think about it and step back and, and you know, if there is a natural home on a on a global SVOD, then that's great. But if you see opportunities that can arise from working with many different places which are better suited, then that's something that we discuss as a team and, uh, and we'll take forward. I mean, we're lucky being a passion because we're obviously quite nimble with the fact that we're independent from major studios, not affiliated. We can kind of, uh, you know, duck and dive and be quick with what we do. For example, I mean, you know, in one territory, Canada, we have four SVOD platforms platforms which drag races on i mean that's that's unheard of really and it was you know a hell of a lot of work to make that happen but it does go to show that you know that that is an international SVOD that's in there two of them as well as a local SVOD and another SVOD that kind of works primarily in Canada but you know has kind of feeds that go across that so you know it can vary uh the logistical challenge I think it's been wrecked all by other people when asked you know similar questions is in terms of the revenue that's really difficult uh to kind of weigh up because obviously it's potentials you look at there there is a stability in doing a deal with Netflix which can take a series you know three years you know three series of a show in one go which typically you would do with a local SVOD. I don't think you do it on a season by season, although with you know with very strong options and all the rest goes along with that. The other thing to say, I guess, is that whereas Netflix can be quite choosy and take, say, just the US shows uh, on the global feed, a local SVOD is able to build you know really intimate relationships with the subscribers and can kind of become a home fan bases. I mean, for Drag Race, that's a you know a great example of a show that you know has very very passionate fan base and and they want to have everything in one place. So. 
you know, what, what clients like Stan and Crave have done is, is, is really build a, a place for that, an out TV as well, you know, aging before that. And uh, to, to reinforce that, you know, that passionate fan base demands that every version is available to. So that, you know, that's that's only possible with those kind of local relationships where they, they have that kind of more intimate relationship between the viewer and the, and the platform, you know, that, that's able to form. Um, and what do um, deals between distributors and local SVODs mean for content on the global players? Do you think that as a result of that, there'll be more of a shift on um, global um, SVODs towards original programming, for example? Well, um, yes, it, it's difficult because like more of a shift on the, the global SVOD players as a result of deals with the, you know, so I guess it's like, how will the global players react to them? Um, you know, it's difficult. There can be kind of direct results, you know, should the local SVOD offer a better proposition for that territory. So, I mean, the example I used before of where a local SVOD will do a, a local adaptation of format, that, you know, can as of itself result in a kind of greater revenue on that program. You know, you get another version to kind of sell around the world. That's a big advantage and something that the local SVOD are doing now that for the international SVODs is kind of being a bit of a, you know, it's not something that they typically do, that there's a view that they kind of take one version and they have two versions in the same language. You know what I mean? That That's competition on their own platform has been a view in the past. And that may change. It may be something that they, they kind of move towards, you know what I mean, doing those kind of local versions. But at the moment, it's not something we've seen. So, yeah, I think, I think that's kind of the only shift that we've kind of noticed so far. And, you know, like I say, you know, it could change but I guess it's something for them to answer rather than uh, for us to uh, pick up on. Um, and where are local SVODs in terms of acquisitions, co-productions and original commissions? Um, so I, I guess what you're asking there is what's the balance between them and kind of what their preference is on that. Again, you know, the, the boring part is that it depends on the local SVOD. Typically, you know, everything starts with finished. That's the easiest kind of deals that we do. And, you know, they'll, they'll kind of come to us if we, there's a big brand which they want to bring. And then, you know, should the finish do well, then that could become a conversation about the uh, commissions. That that tends to be the kind of path that we've seen, especially with programs like Drag Race. Th- that is the advantage that, like I say, local SVODs have over the international ones, is their willingness to do local versions and, and the, the natural kind of advantages that they have in, in, in doing local versions over the international ones who, who don't have that incentive to do a, a, a Swedish version, a Norwegian version, of, you know what I mean? All those other ones that will tie in with it. So yeah, so I'd say if, if there's a balance there, you know, finished always comes first and then then you can talk about original commissions and, and those those local adaptations i mean we, we do have conversations about co-productions that's typically on kind of new ip and in that case when you're looking at a new idea to launch you would more naturally go towards the international ones knowing that they could do a you know premium job of, of getting that idea out there and, and kind of an easier job when it comes to a new idea of, of getting it everywhere you know it, it can be difficult to to build out from one territory with a with a new idea so typically finished and an original commission. What is the impact of major studios withdrawing their programming from the market in order to feed their own streamers? Do you actually think that this could um, create opportunities for Unscripted to fill in the void? Yeah, it's a big question. I mean, um, primarily as an Unscripted distributor, uh, largely independent from international studio relationships as we are. You know, we, we don't sit within uh, one of those massive groups that goes across different countries. I wouldn't pretend that we've noticed uh, a seismic shift just 
just yet. And there's there's a few different reasons for that. I mean, you know, one, the first thing to say is that only the buyers and commissioners would be able to provide uh, an answer as to, you know, whether that's going to change, whether, you know, the, those those ways of picking up content are, whether that, that has had an impact for them. And I imagine that that kind of gets mixed up with a, a myriad of other factors that they have to consider when they're, you know, looking to allocate budget. Um, in theory, you could argue that the budget that has been going on, you know, acquisitions from the major studios is now being spent on other programs and formats from non-affiliated distributors. You know, perhaps that has con- contributed to recent commissions. We've, we've seen a, you know, a, a rise, but then that could just be a natural, you know, part of the life cycle of a brand like Drag Race that you, it now has these, these multiple commissions in different territories. Um, so that they may not be directly linked. So yeah, it's difficult to say that there's kind of a simple answer to it, but it's, it, it's kind of a complex problem. And I think the, the other more important fact to remember when you're looking at these studios launching their own streamers is that these are people we have relationships with already in terms of they've been buying content from us. And this shift that they're doing now isn't as simple as kind of a, a turning off of content and leaving a, you know, a gap for, for demand. They, you know, because we've been selling to them, now they have this added shift towards looking into their own catalogue of IP and using that to fill up the streaming services. It does have a, a knock-on effect into us as to how we can sell into the likes of Discovery Plus. You know, we've we definitely noticed there's been, you know, that they're more willing to obviously go to what is at hand rather than, you know, justify a third-party acquisition for one of their platforms so far. And that may just be because they've just launched, but it's an area that, you know, we're, we're kind of looking at and, and obviously having conversations with them all the time. So I guess what I'm saying is, is that, you know, the idea that, you know, because they've launched these big streamers, they've put their own IP into these streamers doesn't necessarily mean that there's been a kind of a gap in the market that other people are looking at because this relationship is not so straightforward. You know, there's kind of a back and forth that goes along with it. And in the future, what do you think will be the preference for distributors? Deals with local SVODs or deals with global players like Amazon and Netflix? I mean, you know, I, I guess the thing to say is that it, it's not so much that we, we have a preference, really. We, we're always looking for the best deal for our content and, and you know what the big picture is with that be it the kind of highest offer or, or what gives the the brand's best uh, recognition so I, I guess it's a bit more nuanced if we were looking at you know how will the relationship between local SVODs and global SVODs be affected in the year ahead I'd say the obvious uh, thing to state is that many of the local SVODs are newer and therefore have been more proactive in catching up or consolidating their game you know it, it's been a big year you know the lockdown seems to provide a boom in subscribers great for everyone but it has also seen the launch of Disney Plus, Discovery Plus, and the soon-to-be joined by Paramount Plus, uh, which, if you'll forgive me, is bound to be a negative for local SVODs. So in the, the longer-term picture, you know, it's exciting that those those big studios have launched those SVOD services. I guess the question on everyone's lips is, will the kind of multinational media corporation, those companies that are, are even bigger, that Facebooks and the Apples, will they be kind of joining the market? And what kind of an influence would they have given the you know, massive financial resources at their disposal. But in terms of the regional ones, I mean, they'll always have the edge on localised content. You know, no one will be able to make uh, a more Australian show than, you know, an Australian SVOD, right? Um, so that's that's always going to be their advantage. And I also think that they ha- kind of have a, you know, a greater emotional resonance or audience. Um, so, you know, the, the Netflixes and everyone else can always make fantastic premium content, but can they make it so that it's as meaningful in every single territory? I- I'm not quite sure. You know, I'm confident that the, the local SVODs have a, have a massive advantage in that respect. And, you know, they're always looking for 
standout niche uh, content, you know, unique content that will, will push them, uh, you know, to that advantage over them. So, you know, that's fantastic news for, for brands like Drag Race, for things like Paradise Hotel and, and, and similar programmes. Tom Burton from Passion Distribution talking with Ruth Laws for an in-depth piece about the way local SVODs are changing the marketplace. You can find that in the MIP TV digital edition of Channel 21 International magazine, available on our site right now or as an iPad issue in the App Store. But that's all for this episode. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow. In the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 